everyone must be a part of this uh, global digital compact. E every man, every woman, everything, every entity, everything would should be there because in that way we can uh, govern you and manipulate you. And and uh, and also uh, they have this, we will have this uh, commons that they rule over. So we have to go in another direction. You're listening to The Corbett Report. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to The Corbett Report. I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. In a conversation that is coming to you, it's being recorded on the 27th of June, 2023. And as we sit here in June of 2023, you might be able to cast your mind back all the way to April of 2022, when I penned an editorial on Here's What's Next on the Globalist Calendar. And I noted in an entry on September 2023, something about the summit of the future. And in that editorial, I said, last September, UN Sec... as in September 2021, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres launched an 85-page report entitled Our Common Agenda. According to a write-up from Democracy International, the report offers a roadmap for upgrading the UN and calls for reinvigorated multilateralism, renewed solidarity, stronger consideration of future generations, and the New World Order. Oh, I might have put that last bit in there, but at any rate, uh, you can imagine what was in that document, but you don't have to imagine it or take my word for it. You can read it for yourself, which, of course, I will link up. But yes, of course, embedded in that Our Common Agenda uh, document that was released in September of 2021, was the proposal for a summit of the future, which will be convened simultaneously with the UN General Assembly in New York in September of 2023. And checking my calendar, yeah, that's coming up in a few months. So you better believe that the UN technocrats are getting ready for this summit of the future and everything that it entails, and are working feverishly behind the scenes to put together their common agenda ideas. And so we are going to discuss those in greater detail today, because as it turns out, yes, there are a number of policy briefs that have emerged in recent weeks and months that are probably worth your time and attention if you are interested in the plans and schemes of the globalists. And so we're going to pick up the thread from a researcher who has uh, not appeared on the program before. His name is Jakob Nordengard, and uh, he is a researcher, an author, a lecturer, and a musician who has penned a couple of articles that I would like to bring to your attention. Uh, for example, an article from a couple of weeks ago called What's Next to the Moon? An Apex Body and Digital ID to Rule Us All, talking about three policy briefings that have been released in relation to this common agenda. Also, The Ministry of Truth Revisited, which is at uh, Dr. Ya Jakob Nordengard's Substack, which of course will be linked as long, along with his blog. But without further ado, let's bring him on the program. Dr. Jakob Nordengard, thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you for inviting me. Well, we are going to have a really interesting conversation, I have no doubt, because these are some really crazy documents that we're going to be talking about. But before we get into the meat and potatoes of that, this is your first time on the show. So I would like to introduce you to the audience. And I will, of course, direct people to your blog, 
um, which has an about page with some biographical details. Uh, Jakob Nordengard is a Swedish researcher, author, lecturer, musician, a PhD in technology and social change, master of social science in geography and master of social science in culture and media production, founder and chairman of the Swedish foundation uh, Stiftelsen Faros, excuse my pronunciation, and CEO of the independent publishing and media production company Faros Media Productions, has previously worked as a graphic designer, editor, media producer, press officer, politician, senior lecturer, and is also the band leader, singer, and songwriter of the doom metal band Wardenclyffe, which is the most the most Scandinavian <laughs> bio that I've ever read, and I mean that in a good way. So l- fill us in on those details. Who are you? Where do you come from? Why are you writing the things that you're writing? Uh... <laughs> it could be a it's a long answer to that i think but um who am i um i'm i'm just a curious guy and always been uh, wanting to know how the world works and uh, that has been the mission since i was a child i was very much into to geography as a child and i wanted to to map uh, understanding of all the world started with name geography and then I uh, extended this and um, um, as a grown up I started to map uh, people and organizations and I guess I wanted to know how everything uh, uh, was connected and uh, and also who's running the show. (laughs) I think that's kind of early I I, uh, started to to, um, uh, have these questions as a teenager. And uh, I studied the political systems at the time. I mean, I'm, um, I'm 54 now, so when I was a teenager, it was uh, uh, we had still the Cold War and uh, United States against uh, Soviet Union and everything. And, um, and uh, I, I remember I wrote about this and uh, I thought that uh, this big uh, capitalist monopolistic uh, system uh, it leads to the same uh, direction as this uh, communist internationalist. Uh, it was kind of the same. So, so I started to question all, all these things and also this that we have uh, uh, like it's black and white uh, in politics all the time. So, uh, and and I started to dig from there and I um, also um, started with music, uh, writing lyrics about. Uh, how politics works. And uh, after a couple of years, I um, uh, went into university and um, started to uh, investigate more or less um, energy. Energy was uh, uh, very uh, interesting and uh, that led me into to the power politics of, uh, of uh, energy. And uh, I went into researching peak oil and this this was in the early uh, 2000s, just after uh, 9/11, and uh, I found a lot of things <laughs> that uh, that was very. Uh, I mean, I, I d- it didn't change my view from when I was a teenager. It just confirmed more or less, uh, and uh, and eventually I started as a, a PhD student. And uh, I wrote a, a doctor thesis about um, uh, European Union, European Union biofuel policy. 
and that was very interesting because it, it led me to understand how uh, lobbyism uh, works and uh, behind the scene politics and uh, what kind of uh, organizations that are behind the scenes and, and pulling strings and so on. And also, I wrote uh, uh, a lot about climate change and uh, how climate change became uh, uh, the big uh, question, <laughs> the big problem uh, that we're supposed to, to, uh, uh, to solve. <laughs> and, uh, and also found these connections between the oil business and the climate change policy. And uh, uh, I wrote and, and uh, published a work about this in, in 2009. And... Uh, uh, <laughs> It wasn't easy after that at the university because uh, it's not popular to, to to investigate these things, and especially in Sweden. Sweden is so so uh, tightly. Uh, I mean, with the climate uh, agenda, the climate issue, uh, Stockholm has been uh, uh, the capital more yes. or less about yes. the climate science. And, in fact, and, uh, in that uh, in that editorial I was referencing before about the globalist yeah. uh, calendar, there was an entry on Stockholm plus fifty, which of course also took place in Stockholm recently to commemorate the fiftieth anniversary of the nineteen seventy two Stockholm summit. So yes, again. You, uh, yeah, yeah, I was in Stockholm at that time. Yeah, <laughs> so, right. And I well, gave a lecture myself about uh, mm. Stockholm Conf. Well, it sounds like we have similar research interests and uh, maybe yeah, different yeah, backgrounds, I mean, but uh, we have. Some, yeah. I, I remember I, I, um, I wrote, I written a book called uh, Rockefeller Controlling the Game about, and, and that's, uh, and uh, at the same time when I have <laughs> was finished with, I, I think you published your your. Uh, <laughs> Uh, very very um, good uh, uh, movies about uh, uh, the, the oil. Yeah, business. the big oil documentaries. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So it, just, it, it was just a confirmation of, of uh, everything that I have been studying for. for Absolutely. And uh, having a copy of that book, I can attest that uh, there are a lot of people who write about these subjects that are just kind of cribbing from other people. But uh, you can a researcher can tell another researcher based on their references, and I can tell. Oh. Jakob Nordengard has really done some research on this. So that's why I am turning to you tonight for to get some more information about the latest UN proposals, policy briefings, whatever is coming down the pipeline. Okay, let's set the table for people. Again, our common agenda is this idea that has been launched. It's another sort of great reset sort of framework around which to lobby for essentially the same agenda. It's always the same agenda, but they put it under different garb from time to time. And now uh, UN Secretary General Guterres is pushing our common agenda. And under that framework, there has been a number of policy briefings published. You have recently talked about a few of them. A global digital compact reforms of the international financial architecture and the future of outer space governance being the latest ones that you have talked about. Run us through just briefly what these what these policy briefings are and what they cover, and then we'll go into them in some greater detail. Yes, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a big topic. I mean, these policy briefs, they are... Um, the thing is, the first, we had this, our common agenda report, and it was... Uh, and it's about 12 commitments to achieve uh, the Agenda 2030. And uh, these policy briefs, uh, and, and then the, these uh, 
suggestions came on on um, and uh, on the consultation and uh, from member states and so on and influential actors and and after that uh, we had these uh, policy briefs uh, presented about key issues uh, in this agenda and uh, one of uh, the most important things is this uh, uh, global digital uh, compact because everything is about the digitization and everything is about uh, uh, data and uh, that's, the, that's the cornerstone of all this and uh, data that it's connected to of course uh, the sustainable development goals in order to achieve uh, these goals we have to have people's data and we also this this uh, it's interesting with this global digital uh, compact as well because United Nations, where we talk about uh, the global commons, and um, because United Nations should um, be the governing bodies of these um, commons, they say, and uh, and they have had responsibilities, and and that's uh, like the atmosphere or the the oceans, and uh, we have also Antarctica, and. Uh, space uh, th that's commons uh, that we have to govern together uh, according to united nations but we also have another common and that's the cyber cyber uh, realm uh, the cybersphere so uh, because that's also spans all over the borders and uh, as we can see with uh, what's happening with information now and uh, what, uh, what uh, United Nations sees as a problem, uh, that is uh, uh, how uh, we have a lot of disinformation and uh, <laughs> misinformation and hate speech uh, and these things. So this has to be governed. Uh, and because uh, they say the cybersphere is a... a, a global commons they should do it so that's a, a big thing in the, uh, this digital uh, dig, digital commons or um, uh, uh, global compact uh, so and, and I write about this as, as well uh, that they more or less wanted to, to create a, a kind of a ministry of truth. And to uh, uh, to govern this, and we have also a, a lot of other proposals, and uh, we have this with um, uh, financial architecture. Financial architecture um, is more or less about uh, adjusting everything uh, to achieve Agenda 2030. Everything uh, ends up in this. So what they wanted to, to do as well is, is creating, uh, um, as they, they state in this uh, policy brief about financial uh, architecture, an apex body. Because they don't think that uh, the old institutions are fit for, for the challenges uh, in the future. So. Uh, so this policy brief about the financial um, uh, future is it's, it's a huge report. It's, it's a lot of things that uh, in this report, and it's uh, uh, hard to grasp everything. But it cooks down to 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 these things with uh, uh, the managing the, the uh, SDGs. 
and financing the SDGs. So, uh, and also surveillance of uh, financial transactions. That's another thing because, and that's that's what we, we discussed also in uh, in Stockholm that you mentioned Stockholm plus fifty, um, and uh, we state that this is uh, about um, combating uh, illegal uh, transactions and uh, and terrorism and uh, whatever, um, but it ties into uh, achieving the sustainable development goals, and we have this. Uh, things called the Every Action Counts initiative, and uh, that is a kind of a, a social credit system uh, that they want to achieve. So, so everything, uh, all these things, goes together uh, into this. And also, the, the third um, uh, policy brief that I mentioned there is um, space, the space agenda. The space agenda is is um, it's much about um, surveillance, surveillance uh, with satellites, because we state this. They have in in each of these uh, uh, policy briefs, they have uh, all the sustainable development goals and how they are connected to this uh, uh, topic or or this uh, policy brief. And if you go into this um, uh, with uh, with space, it's a lot of things they, they stay, uh, say they can do, and and all everything has to do with uh, surveillance and tracking of goods and and the people and uh, and everything. That's uh, that's a central part of it. And we also have uh, some initiatives connected to this because I mean I mean it's it's a part of a. I mean the partnership deal between the um, United Nations and the World Economic Forum. So um, we have uh, initiatives like uh, Climate Trace. You know the Climate Trace, James, uh, with um, Al Gore. Al Gore, right? <laughs> yes, and uh, no, no more hiding, right? Exactly. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> creepy. Kind of creepy to to watch all these uh, kind of commercials for this agenda mm. because uh, I mean they, they they state what we are going to do <laughs> and it's it uh, isn't really hidden behind too many walls no more <laughs> hiding kind of yeah hey guys no more hiding we're showing you what we're about to do uh, okay let's okay that's the thirty thousand foot view let's start drilling down on some details here and let's go one by one through these because there is there's a lot of craziness in here but let's start with that um a global digital compact an open free and secure digital future for all which is exactly like it says on the cover there what are they aiming at it says purpose of this policy brief the present brief proposes the development of a global digital compact that would set out principles, objectives, and actions for advancing an open, free, secure, and human-centered digital future, one that is anchored in universal human rights and that enables the attainment of the sustainable development goals. What could be wrong with that? And as you point out in your article, 
they do make actually a good point about the economic ramifications of the digitization of everything. Um, they, they frame it uh, in relation to SDG number one, which we all know off by heart is ending poverty, right? And so they say, for example, digital IDs linked with bank or mobile money accounts can improve the delivery of social protection coverage and serve to better reach eligible beneficiaries. Digital technologies may help to reduce leakages, errors, and costs in the design of social protection programs. Ah, oh, isn't that great. So at, at any rate, they do point to the fact that digital technologies are accelerating the concentration of economic power in an ever smaller group of elites and companies, aka big tech, right? The combined wealth of technology billionaires, 2.1 trillion dollars in 2022, is greater than the annual gross domestic product of more than half of the group of 20 economies. You know what? That is actually a good point. Digitization has meant the creation of this incredible billionaire superclass that is now having more and more power over greater and greater sections of our lives as everything becomes digitized. So what is the UN's answer to this? Can, can you tell us who is on the UN Secretary General's high-level panel on digital cooperation? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> First, we have Melinda Gates. Uh, <laughs> Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And I mean... She used to work on Microsoft <laughs> and uh, now divorced from Bill, <laughs> of course, but uh, and, uh, <laughs> and also um, Jack Ma from uh, the Alibaba group. Also, uh, I mean, he was uh, at the board of uh, WEF. And uh, we know also that uh, Alibaba's, they um, um, have this company under them that's called uh, the Ant Group. And the Ant Group was the developer of a social credit system in China. Mm? And, and these people, uh, they, uh, I think we, we could state that they are uh, part of this uh, <laughs> little elite group that has... Uh, a lot of money and power during the digitization. So, so I mean, who are they hiring? Exactly. Who are they entrusting to solve this problem that they have created? It's the people who created the problem, right? It's absolute uh, insanity. Yeah. The same thing, always. <laughs> of course. I mean, again, if we are to take them at face value, that they're really concerned about this economic concentration, then why are you hiring the exact people who are the beneficiaries of this economic concentration? to solve the problem that benefits them. It's it's nonsense on its face, but we're expected to believe this. Um, was there anything from that uh, policy brief that jumped out at you in particular about some of their specific suggestions about how they're going to achieve this global digital compact? Well, the thing is, uh, <laughs> what really <laughs> uh, uh, grabbed my mind was uh, that uh, this was very similar to the proposals uh, that came for uh, each of these sustainable development goals, it was more or less like uh, a report I, I read, uh, um, like it's more from three years ago, I think, a WEF report called um, Unlocking the uh, Technologies for the, for the Global Goals. Uh, but I, when I saw that the first time, I had to write an article about it because it was so what is this? <laughs> now, is, now we're really stating what we're going to do. Uh, I mean, those who have believed all these uh, nice uh, um, sounding goals when they see this, the, uh, uh, 
and it's just uh, and with unlocking goals. It was all these um, fourth industrial revolution uh, uh, solutions to 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 achieve SDGs and all about uh, digital ID and uh, and uh, surveillance and. <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, mad <laughs> suggestions, and and it's just like they have put this uh, WF report just in this, uh, just uh, <laughs> copy paste yeah. everything. <laughs> Almost as if it's the same thing, just a different branding or a different flavor of it. But yes, uh, uh, clearly yeah. some some similarities, shall we say, in agendas. And of course, it always comes back to the same. The same questions. Oh, the misinformation and disinformation, uh, online hate. How can we how can we ensure that this will not happen? And how well, how can we in- empower governments to take care of these problems, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. And of course, the Global Digital Compact is going to give you all these wonderful universal human rights, except maybe not the right to you know say what you want. Freedom of speech will not be part of those rights that will be a. Uh, heavily protected amongst this uh, global digital compact that will be stewarded over by the likes of Melinda Gates and Jack Ma and people along those lines. Yeah. You, you will be given the right to, to say uh, the things that the United Nations want you to say. Yes. Which, uh, for the eight millionth time, I'm going to repeat it, people will be sick of hearing this, but the Universal Declaration of Human Rights gives you article after article of all these beautiful, wonderful sounding rights that people supposedly have and, oh, we, you know, freedom from poverty and education and all these things. But of course, what is it? Article 29, paragraph three, is it? Uh, but of course, you can't exercise these rights in any way that goes against the, uh, the will of the United Nations. So yes, you can have all the wonderful rights unless you're against us, in which case you have no rights. And that's the foundation of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, a.k.a. what UN is is calling human rights. So we know the uh, the absolute nonsense that this is based upon. All right, let's move to global international financial architecture, which um, is such a, as you say, this is such a vast subject and yes, so many different... Huge. Yeah. So so many different loopholes and, and different things that people can get down. But of course, what this is fundamentally based on is that they're showing that oh, the, the financial architecture as it exists is all this mishmash of these various organizations and bodies and groups. And some of them are quasi-governmental and some of them are non-governmental. Some of them are sta- standard-setting bodies. Some are groups of the Bank for International Settlements, for example, the International Monetary Fund, all of these things. But it's kind of chaotic and we need a global global economic governance structure. And the one that really jumps out at me in this policy brief, they talk about various action-oriented recommendations for reforming the international financial and tax architecture. But the one that jumps out at me particularly, because I've been following this for many years, and I think it's it is uh, essentially when we talk about global government, this is the linchpin. Um, it's in this document on uh, page three down in subparagraph F. Global tax architecture for equitable and inclusive sustainable development, blah, 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 for warm fuzzies and pink unicorn rainbows. But the point is global tax architecture. Once they get the global tax architecture in place, that is the global government. And it doesn't matter if people understand that or if they recognize that, if there is some sort of place in wherever, Stockholm or Brussels or anywhere else where they situate a headquarters, it doesn't matter. The global tax architecture is the key to global governance, government. And uh, I think that's part of this policy brief. Um, There's a lot, as you say, that's in here, but anything from this document that sticks out at you in particular? 
Well, I, I mentioned this also. I mean, with the taxation, uh, they also want to to uh, to have. Uh, I mean, every watch over every transaction more or less. Uh, transparency with uh, transactions. We know what that means, and uh, I, I think we could see that this uh, will lead to um, uh, CBDC in the end. And uh, and also that is interesting to to follow this with uh, this apex body because I mean I've been following this for for, a lot, uh, um, for many years now and uh, this thing with um, because they have the G20 system that um, they had to create because I mean. They wanted to to make United Nations as the world government from the beginning. We know that, but they didn't uh, really succeed with it. But but uh, uh, and uh, in order to to get the system that they have wanted, they they uh, created the G20 out of a crisis, the financial first the financial crisis in the nation, then then uh, the, the the great financial global financial crisis in 2008. And I remember from from reading these uh, uh, documents at that time how how they came with suggestions on how to uh, G20 would eventually move into uh, United Nations headquarters, and uh, it was uh, uh, Gordon Brown talked about it, uh, Gorbachev talked about it, and uh, they, they also had this in, in uh, a couple of uh, suggestions uh, in 2012, I think it was. Uh, and now uh, they have uh, moved to that point and they said that, say that uh, now we're going to have a, a meeting every second year, a biennial meeting um, where the G20 has its meeting in uh, United Nations, and and uh, that will form this apex body. Uh, already, if you go into G20 and uh, everything what we're doing, it's it's uh, it's interesting to. I mean, most people they they, they uh, most people don't know what G20 is, but <laughs> those who know, they think it's a kind of a leaders meeting uh, once a year. But it's I mean it's uh, a huge. It's like uh, as huge as uh, I mean, looking through this policy brief, everything that has to do with uh, finance, uh, finance of the world. Um, that's what G20 is doing. Uh, but it's it's uh, and all these uh, powerful institutions are a part of, of the G20 and have these uh, so uh, hundreds of meetings every year uh, about uh, this new uh, world architecture, financial and everything. So they have just um, so now we are uh, putting it together. Uh, where they have, uh, I mean, it was the intention from the beginning, of course. So uh, and they, we talked about uh, that this would be kind of an, an uh, economic uh, security council for the world. So uh, so I thought that was uh, very interesting to see that these uh, suggestions that they have worked so long with now. They put it in, and it came after this uh, uh, pandemic, and everything is is uh, based on uh, because of the pandemic. So it was such a perfect trigger for them to to achieve this. Almost like it was a great reset. Um, by 
And in yes. fact, they do they do actually obliquely mention that on page 25, uh, reset the rules for the financial system to promote stability with sustainability, blah, blah, blah. So yes, the reset word is another one of the catchwords that does certainly make its way into this document. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, and and this, is, uh, this was the United Nations Great Reset. Uh, I mean, uh, that's what I, what I see it as. Yeah. Uh, it's the answer. I mean, Guterres uh, uh, declared, declared the... <laughs> The Great Reset together with uh, Schwab and uh, together with... Uh, King Charles. Uh, King Charles. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah exactly. So um, yeah. You know, I still think Schwab probably won with the branding because the Great Reset is probably is a better brand than our common agenda. But, eh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see who yeah, ends up yeah, at the top of the pile. Agenda, it sounds better. Hmm. It's our common. Well, true. <laughs> agenda. I think the word agenda is probably the sticking point. But anyway, I'm not yeah. going to give them free PR advice. Let's move on to the uh, the other document, For All Humanity, The Future of outer space governance, which is as ridiculously uh, ambitious as it sounds. And you point out the fact that the, the sustainable development goals that they're, they're working off of here and the way that this is going to fulfill these sustainable development goals, like goal number 11 on sustainable cities and communities, goal number 12 on responsible consumption and production, goal number 13 on climate action, goal number 14 on life below water, are all based around the ways that space space-based platforms can be used for monitoring and surveilling of everything on Earth at all times, essentially. So, for example, space is utilized for urban planning and smart, sustainable cities, which is vital for climate action as cities are responsible for more than 70% of global emissions. Identifying heat spots in cities. Oh, that sounds... Okay. Monitoring the cooling effects of green spaces. Oh, okay. Analyzing air quality. Sure. And crime trends are among other examples of how space improves life in urban areas. So you're going to examine crime trends from space. How are you going to do that? Oh, I understand. It's going to be constant satellite monitoring of everything. And for people who need a sort of visualization of this, I, I did cover this a couple of years ago, a few years ago now. I was watching some of the Super Bowl commercials for the and analyzing them for the propaganda. And I, I recall one that was uh, Microsoft uh, involved in, in some sort of project to literally map and detail every blade of grass in the forest and to be able to monitor everything in the entire world in real time. And you start getting Bill Gates, for example, sponsoring satellite companies that are going to be monitoring from space and you've got Al Gore and Climate Trace. Yeah, I think I do see a common sort of thread that's weaving its way through all of these space-based solutions to our sustainable development problems, quote-unquote. But let's... Why don't you elaborate on that? <laughs> What's more to say? I mean, it's, uh, it's just so stupid, everything. <laughs> that's what I've been thinking all the time and but but they also have this uh, other things the space becomes very and it's always important for them because uh, I've written a lot about this uh, uh, this futuristic ideas uh, that is the basis of this and, and you can see it really see it in, in uh, uh, our common agenda uh, the ideas from HG Wells for example uh, with a world brain and uh, but also these space dreams um, that all these these uh, uh, futurists has had um, that is the, the big uh, thing the big achievement to go out 
uh, and explore space and conquer space and everything. And I, but I think it's also uh, the thing with um, they want to achieve this world government and where to go go after uh, the world government. You have to go uh, to expand. I mean, it's uh, an empire have to expand. Where can you expand when you have all the world? So, so now we're aiming for space, and uh, they, I mean, they, they talk about uh, in this uh, report also that they want to um, build a, a way station uh, on the moon, uh, or um, and uh, and also um, moon base. How many times have you heard this? <laughs> I've been hearing about it my entire life, and yet, <laughs> yeah. oddly, I, I haven't seen it being done. When I, I mean, in the in the the seventies, uh, uh, it was a lot of uh, in popular um, press about um, uh, in the year two thousand, we will have flying cars, and we will have a base on the moon. Uh, we will have space travel. We will have, can take an elevator, go out to space, and everything. Uh, and uh, as a child, I believed that at that time. But <laughs> but now we heard that. <laughs> yeah, uh, children parents. do believe this, and unfortunately, there are a lot of political children out there that still believe in these myths that are being proffered by the would-be elites. Would that we could leave this conversation with the final words of your uh, your article. Wouldn't it be a more efficient measure to secure peace and the environment on this planet if the uh, this megalomaniac elite were sent on a one-way mission to Mars? That would be a great ending to this story. But unfortunately, it gets even worse. Because as attentive listeners out there will remember, back in March, there was a, a different policy brief that was released under this Our Common Agenda framework. And uh, you did write about it at the time. I did uh, link to it when it came out. Um, you had an article up in March, Emergency Platform to Manage Extreme Global Shocks, which says uh, United Nations recently published a policy brief on the 12th commitment of Our Common Agenda, Emergency Platform. This commitment establishes the need to improve preparedness in more areas besides global health crises, such as pandemics, and will uh, will give UN extensive powers in a new crisis situation. Quote, the emergency platform would not be a standing body or entity, but a set of protocols that could be activated when needed. What on earth is this emergency platform that they're proposing? <laughs> this is, uh, I think this is the um, worst part of this, uh, our common agenda. Um, this, this is also the, the last of its commitments, this emergency platform. And I mean, it's more or less to, to create, uh, because they, they state that the Earth is in a state of planetary emergency, and we have all these crises. Um, they have uh, in this uh, policy brief they mentioned seven uh, global crises, and uh, that could lead to that they have to activate uh, this platform. Many people we talk about uh, WHO today. And uh, they are very concerned about what will happen and if they uh, extend the, the, the power. I would say the emergency platform is a part of this. But it's about a lot of other uh, areas as well. Almost everything that they can think of. So uh, they have even uh, put out uh, 
the Black Swan event mm. <laughs> for, yeah. for something that uh, will eventually happen. Yeah. And as Klaus Schwab said at the World Government Summit, uh, there will uh, certainly be a Black Swan. Event. I, I wonder how he knows. Yeah, let's put this on the record for people. So the, these are the seven things that this emergency platform could apparently be activated for. One, large-scale climatic or environmental events. Hey, pole shift, why not? Two, future pandemics with cascading secondary impacts. Three, high-impact events involving a biological agent, deliberate or accidental. Number four, events leading to disruptions to global flows of goods, people, or finance. Well, that could be pretty much anything. Uh, number five, large-scale destructive and or disruptive activity in cyberspace or disruptions to global digital connectivity, the cyber false flag, if you will. Number six, a major event in outer space that causes severe disruptions to one or several critical systems on Earth. Solar flare, fake UFO invasion, who knows? And number seven, unforeseen risks, black swan events. So there you go. Basically, they're saying anything, anything at all that we constitute to be a crisis, we could activate this platform for. And as it states, very interestingly, this is not a standing body or an entity, but a set of protocols that will involve a rapid, predictable, and structured international response, maximizing the unique, convening role of the UN, catalyzing political le leadership through networks of willing member states, multi-sectoral interdisciplinary coordination across the multilateral system, multi-stakeholder engagement and accountability in the global response, and strengthened accountability for delivering against commitments and bringing coherence to the international approach. Which basically means, I think, anything they want it to mean at any time they want it to mean it. Um, but at any rate, that's what they're laying out on the table here. So I don't even know. I, 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 what are they? I mean, oh, <laughs> I don't even know how to oppose this because it's not even going to be a body per se. It's just going to be uh, we can control anything we want at the drop of a hat, essentially. Yeah, but and the thing is, I mean, they are uh, before this uh, uh, eventual crisis could, could happen, we are putting together a group of actors. Uh, and they are given the protocol. So they decide upon what to do when the crisis hits. And they are not to, uh, to say anything that opposes this. Or say that, no, this is uh, bad, this, uh, uh, we can do it. They have to follow the protocol, uh, whatever it means, and uh, act in unison. And if, um, and they also state, okay, we, uh, it will be dissolved if we solve the crisis. But they don't, I mean, if they don't solve the crisis, I mean, they could just continue with this, like in uh, the 30s. I mean, it could happen <laughs> new things all the time. So I see this. This this is a really the the the, the methodology to to uh, gain uh, total power over the planet. Yeah, and and, uh, and let's yeah. put in that quote that you put at the end of your article on this. It, it bears reminding of the fortress world scenario from the Global Scenario Group's 
report The Great Transition, The Promises and Lures of Our Times, quote, using a revamped United Nations as their platform, a state of planetary emergency is declared. A campaign of overwhelming force, rough justice, and draconian police measures sweeps through hot spots of conflict and discontent. Wow. Hey, yeah, bring us this the fiery scourge of the United Nations to cleanse this world of the, the evildoers and save us from the planetary emergency. It sounds like comic book nonsense, but unfortunately, I think they really do intend something like this. Yes, and if you uh, go into this Global Scenario Group's report, uh, you find uh, how they uh, calculated with a pandemic that would be a trigger for a big crisis that would hit Earth. And, uh, and then this planetary emergency would be declared. And, uh, and so what's on, the name uh, of their report again? The Great Transition. Oh, right. The, the Great, Great Transition. transition. Yeah. Yes. Mm. And who was behind this? Scenarios. Who funded this? Any idea? Uh, well, okay. Uh, who are the players on the table? Uh, I'm going to guess some Rockefellers were involved. Maybe Gates at this point. Um, WEF, uh, Club of Rome, uh, uh, UN is involved in some manner. I, I don't know. Am I close to the mark here? Rockefeller Foundation and uh, United Nations Environmental Program. And uh, one what's called Nippon Foundation. It's a Japanese foundation, I think. You maybe know something about it. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, and also, uh, he who uh, was the main author of this is a Club of Rome member. <laughs> so, and this, uh, if you read this, you can see that it was um, setting the agenda for uh, Rockefeller Foundation's uh, scenarios for uh, technological... Uh, well, uh, you know this about uh, lock, lock, lock steps, steps. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so it's it's more or less built on these scenarios because the uh, United Nations used this, and uh, and uh, what's unfolding uh, it's it's very close to the the worst of the various scenarios in this report called uh, Fortress World, and uh, I, I think it's it's very you can just uh, find this on on uh, internet and download it. It's very interesting to read. You know, this is this is an important part that we should underline. All of these things we are talking about are not some secret hidden document that you have to search for, for days or you have to have special secret access to. No, they are out there in the open with this. This is what they are willing to state on record, and it's all out there for people who just read. Just go out there and read what they are actually writing about. There is no hidden agenda. Well, I'm sure there is a hidden agenda, but at any rate, what is out there on the table is more than enough to know that well, we are heading <laughs> yeah. in some very dark directions here. And I think it is interesting. What is the common connecting thread amongst all of these common agenda policy briefings? Is in every space where you can find anything resembling anarchy, 
oh, oh, terrible anarchy or freedom. Um, those spaces, those liminal international intra-border spaces where there is no governance structure, they're coming in to set up a governance structure. So whether that's cyberspace, whether that's uh, uh, the outer space, um, whether that's the international financial system, well, who's, who's the one body in control of all of this? Well, let's just make an apex body that controls it all. That is what every aspect of this agenda is aiming at. Any space where there is any sort of freedom, they're going to come in and impose their global order upon it. And I think that presents, at any rate, it, to my mind, that presents us with the, the answer to if they are going in that direction, we should be going in the exact opposite direction. Devolving power down as close to the local as possible and ultimately to the individual would be nice. But at any rate, moving in the opposite direction to this global compact, the global digital commons, the global apex body, etc. that they're trying to create. Do you concur with that assessment? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we we have to we have to get get out of this. I mean, the thing is, they want to. Uh, they say we we have to uh, uh, get everyone on board. Everyone must be a part of this uh, global digital compact. E every man, every woman, everything, every entity, everything would should be there because in that way we can uh, govern you. And manipulate you, and 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 also uh, they have this. We will have this uh, commons that they rule over. So we have to go in another direction, and we have to. Um, I mean, it's. <laughs> I mean, we're talking through Skype at the moment, through internet, but we we have to to um, uh, go back to more or less the real world and and uh, be more in the real and, and and talk to each other in the real world. Also, <laughs> I mean, I think it's good that we can actually uh, and and uh, in some way we have. I think we have miscalculated. Uh, with because they, they they have wanted to gain control through uh, uh, building up uh, internet and everything, getting the uh, information of everyone, and we are leaving uh, trails everywhere and so on. But they had to give us something to achieve it, and uh, that has made us more aware of what's going on, <laughs> and also uh, we have con contact with each other all over the globe now so that's a and, and now i think it's a more or less a panic mode at the top because it's very hard to control uh people and information it's very very hard and the more they um push in this direction and uh, uh showing how they are who they are and uh it we will just gain more out of it, I think, because every step they take now uh, to totalitarianism, I mean, it exposes these powers. So um, I am so glad that you uh, that you provided that that context and that because I, I was going to ask what's the good news in all of this. It all sounds terrible, but I think you hit on an incredibly important issue that is not talked about enough in supposedly alternative independent media spaces, which is 
the incredible hubris of these people who genuinely yeah. believe that they can create these structures to govern and control the entire world. I think those structures will inevitably fail. They will not work. You cannot control 8 billion people. And you're right. Uh, of course, the internet was created as a military information control structure by the U.S. military. The U.S. government was uh, involved in it, of course. But uh, yes, it was the... it. It was the great gamble. Well, we have to give them this, and then we'll control them all later. And I think there was a lot of hubris involved in this. Well, we have such incredible control over people's information and minds and... Oh, wait, no! They're talking with each other now! I really do think that there is an incredible <laughs> change that has taken place over the past 20 years. I have lived that change. I know it to be taking place. It is an incredible time to be alive, and we are going to see some spectacular fireworks. There will be some Unfortunately, probably some dark times ahead, but I really do think this system is going to fail. It is designed to fail. So yes. I appreciate mm -hmm. that uh, perspective that you bring there. That wasn't yes, a question, sir. but <laughs> if you want to <laughs> wrap up with <laughs> anything, <laughs> please but, but do. It, but it's very important, and I, I, I think it's very, we have to say it, because a lot of people, when we uh, talk about these things, it, it sounds like they are so powerful. And in some way, they are powerful, but not that powerful. Only the power that we give them with our mind, our attention, our compliance is what they have. And uh, we have to stop giving them our compliance. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, incredibly important stuff. I hope people will, at the very least, follow the links to your articles so they can read more about this and then start actually reading these documents. See what these globalists are actually saying. And uh, as I noted at the beginning with my editorial on the globalist calendar, at that time, they were saying Summit of the Future was scheduled for September 2023. I note that they've already pushed it back to September 2024 now. I'm not sure why the year delay, but anyway, maybe their plans are not going according to plan. Can you imagine? They have miscalculated and they're godly. <laughs> they know everything, but they, they oops, we need another year. At any rate, we have another year reprieve before they unleash yeah. this on the world, right? At I any rate, that's certainly down. time to get aware of this agenda. I, I could comment that uh, with uh, that uh, they, they said 2023 in the beginning because uh, I read through the, some of the think tanks was involved in this and they, uh, they said that some of the member states are uh, a bit suspicious <laughs> and they, they want more time because I think they wanted to push this through. Uh, as the world was in a state of panic during the pandemic, uh, uh, it was easier to convince people. Um, so, uh, so now we have uh, another year, and um, because uh, it, it didn't work uh, to to get it through that that fast. So, it goes um, to show, so doesn't it? And that I think maybe there's a lesson. I was going to say, I think maybe there's a lesson there for the pandemic treaty. Um, they're saying May 2024 at the next uh, WHA World Health Assembly, we're going to push it for May 2024. But there's a very good chance that if there is enough political momentum against this process, it could be at the very least delayed and hopefully delayed into inevitable failure. And uh, that's something to work for as well, politically speaking. And I, th I think we have to, I mean make people aware of this, uh, our common agenda. And, and uh, I mean, um, the documents are there. It's, uh, it's easy to obtain them and read them and everything. 
and uh, United Nations they claim that they want to uh, to have opinion of the people. <laughs> uh, so, um, but. But the thing is, if I ask uh, 100 people on the street, uh, what do you think about our common agenda? Uh, none of them will uh, know anything about what our common agenda is. Yeah. So, so I think that's uh, an important thing to do to to uh, to inform about this these plans, and uh, so that people can act upon it. Exactly. We cannot oppose or go in the opposite direction of something we don't even know is happening until it's already yeah. happened, right? Exactly right. Okay. So let's inform people. Um, Dr. Jakob Nordengard, an incredibly important conversation. You have lots and lots of things in your archive that are related to this. Direct people to your site once again. Tell us about your books and any other ways that people can follow you or find out more about your information. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I um, have my uh, substack that I uh, publish all my, my articles. And I also have uh, um, my books. I have one book in, in, uh, in English that you mentioned, the, the Rockefeller uh, um, Controlling the Game. Um, that takes it's a lot of a background to to what's happening today, historical and and uh, so I go through everything about um, the climate and uh, and uh, energy policy and a lot of things that you have uh, also mentioned in uh, in your work. And uh, I also have two other books uh, that's about the pandemic and and uh, and uh, also my latest is uh, called the Digital World Brain, and it's about our common agenda. And uh, uh, these uh, um, are translated, and, and uh, hopefully will be we published uh, in English soon. Uh, so, so I have have all this information there. Uh, mm -hmm. So, um, and I also have a YouTube channel that you can follow me and uh, my work and, and listen to uh, my interviews about this. Excellent. All of those will be linked up in the show notes for people if they need the link. So that they will be there. Um, Jakob Nordengard, I think there is uh, probably a lot more to discuss about this agenda and the digital world yeah, brain and everything things. else. So I hope we get the chance to talk again in the future. But thank yeah. you for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much.